Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Well, I have the privilege of introducing our guest this morning. Uh, Shane Shaddix is the pastor for discipleship at Imago Day Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Shane was one of our pastors uh, when we lived out in Raleigh for three and a half years, became a good friend, had a huge influence and impact on us and in our lives, and uh, just so excited that he's out here in Oklahoma with us this weekend. Shane led us uh, in our leadership equipping workshop yesterday, um, just talking about what it looks like to develop a culture of discipleship in our uh, discipline in our church and kind of demystifying what we mean by that and just giving us some real clear practical ways to go about the work of discipling uh, on a daily basis. Um, and so if you missed that, weren't able to be there yesterday, we've got that post on our website. I highly recommend um, taking a look at that. Um, it, was a, it was a really great time Shane led us through and um, now I'm excited that he's going to preach for us this morning. So let me pray for us and I'll turn it over to Shane. Father, thank you for the encouragement that uh, Shane has been to me this weekend and to our church as well. I just pray that you would continue to do a work in our hearts and in our church through the preaching of your word this morning. Uh, preach through Shane by your spirit and open our hearts and our minds to receive your word and then to go and do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, brother. Well, good morning, church. It is a, uh, a privilege to be with you all uh, this weekend and especially this morning as the saints gather together uh, to worship our God. Just a, a joy. Uh, personally, obviously, to hang out with uh, Chase and Maddie after uh, uh, not seeing them for the last couple years. Uh, Chase, uh, you know, thank you for the introduction, but I just want to like turn around and, and brag on him and their faithfulness. Uh, Chase and Maddie served our church as small group leaders, helped me out a lot personally just in developing some of our leadership development and discipling programs and initiative and initiatives and so it was really just quite a joy to be able to not just uh, kind of say goodbye to them not because I wanted them to go but just to know that good gospel ministry was was coming somewhere and then for them to land here and partner with a church that's that's uh, already in the process of going about the work of gospel proclamation and being and living as the body of Christ uh, just seeing the Lord's hand and all of that has just been really encouraging and now to be able to kind of partner together uh, this weekend is just uh, it's just a, a deep encouragement uh, for me. So uh, thank you guys for letting me let me come and, and hang out in uh, uh, Central Oklahoma. I guess is what is this what this is considered Central Oklahoma? Uh, sure. Yeah, I'm actually not from too far uh, from from here. I uh, was born a couple hours I guess down the road uh, in Arlington, uh, Texas. Uh, are we allowed to say Texas here? I don't know. I don't I don't know what the rules are. Um, but uh, uh, we moved away when I was five, so I really don't know very much about like Texas or Oklahoma or anything like that. Um, I lived in, in Texas long enough, unfortunately, to become a, a Texas Rangers fan. And um, so... Okay, I didn't know if I was going to get any sympathy there, but uh, just what's behind that is the Rangers are really bad uh, as a baseball team. And, uh, but in, I'm committed... 
and uh, and so I still follow them all the way from uh, uh, from North Carolina, where I currently live. And um, being a Rangers fan is a is a rough gig uh, for a couple reasons, um, but the the biggest one is that they're really bad. Um, there are certain bright spots, though, of being a Texas Rangers fan, and one of them I found as I've, I've continued to kind of delve deeper into Rangers fandom is the Rangers have a pretty decent um, uh, writing culture around them. They're like uh, the the uh, reporting uh, that goes around the Rangers is good in part because they're so bad at baseball. They have to tell good stories around the baseball team in order to maintain interest. And so I'm a sucker for this. And uh, I was caught a couple years, uh, a couple weeks ago, actually just uh, last week, uh, by a story that one of the writers wrote about a, a new Rangers call up. He's a, he's a guy who's just a bullpen pitcher. Uh, and and this story that, that one of the writers uh, is telling of is how uh, pitcher Nick Snyder came to be a member of the Texas Rangers. Nick Snyder, uh, I, I believe, is originally from, or, or at least was found playing junior college uh, shortstop in Florida. Um, and he was found because a scout was there scouting out other people on his team, okay? Uh, not uh, Nick Snyder at shortstop. But this, this scout noticed something about Nick Snyder at shortstop, and that was Nick Snyder has a really just pretty arm emotion. Now, I am not a baseball fan enough to know what makes a pretty arm motion distinct from an ugly arm motion, but this scout was able to tell this guy has got something in the way he throws the baseball. And so the story progresses about how they have this kind of clandestine, uh, kind of secret uh, scouting operation to not bring too much attention to Nick Snyder to while at the same time figuring out, do we think this guy can pitch? And over time, they scout him out and they figure out, we, we think this guy can pitch. And so the, the Rangers uh, did some follow-up and everything. And then uh, just, I think, last year or the year before, they uh, kind of took a Hail Mary pass in the, uh, the, the draft. That's mixing uh, sports metaphors, but you'll go with me here. Uh, and they, they draft Nick Snyder, I believe, in like the 19th round. Nobody else was looking at Nick Snyder. He, he was just a junior college, a middling junior college shortstop. Why would they, why would they pay attention to him? And the, the, the Rangers, in the process over the next couple years, what they did is they took something that they saw already beginning to, to develop in, in this kind of talent that he already had, and they said, we like what we see here. What, what we want to do is we want to take that, we want to move him over to pitcher, and we want to help him grow into what we think can be something pretty special. And last week, uh, Nick Snyder uh, made his professional baseball debut uh, coming out of the bullpen throwing 101 miles an hour, uh, and he, he struck out the first couple batters that they saw. That he saw. Uh, if you're not a baseball fan, that's really fast. Okay, that's a, that's a really fast baseball throw. Um, it, I think it's even more fun because when they, were, when they drafted him, when he was a shortstop, he was not throwing 101 miles an hour. He was throwing like 87 miles an hour, which, if you're a pitcher, is not very fast, which means that these scouts said, there's something here. It's not there yet. So we want to take what's there, and we want to see it grow into the fullness of what we think it can be. And now it looks like a very bad baseball team have a really good bullpen pitcher, which is, you know, semi-exciting, okay? Um, if you guys want, I can just kind of live tweet or whatever updates. You can follow along when to tune in to, to watch Nick Snyder. Uh, yeah, um, I, I love that story um, in part because I think it really sets, well, because it's a cool story, but secondly, I think it really sets up well where we're going to be uh, this morning. If you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. 
In Colossians chapter 1, we've got something of a, a development project going on uh, as the, the Apostle Paul wants to, uh, wants to take hold of something that he's seen and heard in this group of Colossian believers, and he wants to, he wants to see it not just kind of take root, he wants it to develop into the fullness of what he thinks it can be as this group of believers grows into maturity in Christ. He wants to, to see what God has already been doing and see what there's already at work among the Colossian believers. And he's saying, there's something really cool going on here. I want you to press on. I want you to keep going. I want you to grow into what God has already been doing here so that it grows into fullness, into maturity, into health in the, the fullest sense uh, of the word. So uh, keeping that background in mind, I want to, I want to encourage you, just, just read, uh, listen as I read along. We're just going to do verses 9 through 14. Okay, I just want to take a small passage here because I think it gives us this, this encouraging picture, this helpful picture of what Paul wants to see uh, the Colossians uh, grow into as they pursue uh, spiritual, spiritual health, spiritual maturity. So listen as I read. I'm reading for the uh, English Standard Version, verses uh, 9 through 14 of Colossians chapter, chapter 1. Paul says, and so... From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Apostle Paul in this, this brief paragraph is exhorting, he's encouraging, he's actually reporting on what he has been praying for the believers in this city of Colossae. You see, what's happened here is uh, Paul's got something like a scout. He, if, if you look back in the verses just prior to where we're at, you can see in verses 7 and 8 uh, that you don't have to know what's going on wholly in the paragraph right before, but what he's basically saying is that the Colossian believers learned about the gospel from a guy named Epaphras. And Epaphras, being a, a faithful minister on behalf of the Colossians, has now turned around and he's gone back to the Apostle Paul and he's reported, Paul, th th the Lord is doing something in Colossae. There's something here. God is at work as the gospel message of what God has done to rescue sinners through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That message has gone into this town of Colossae and people are believing, they're receiving, they're being converted, their lives are being transformed. There is something going on here. And Paul begins in verse nine and he says, because of all this, from the moment I heard that, I have been on my knees praying for you. And it's interesting, I think, what Paul wants to see happen for the believers. The, the basic essence, I think, of what he wants to see is don't stop where you're at. 
Don't be content with what, what the Lord has already done. Instead, I want to see not only what God has done, but I want it to go into to fullness, into maturity, into, into growth. You need, to, you need to take what God is doing, and I want to see God, God grow you up into the fullness of what he intends to do there. And I just think this is such a great passage for us this morning, even for, for me to have the privilege of encouraging you, because I feel like I get to be in a, a similar spot. I have from afar, heard afar, from afar of what God has been doing at Redemption Church. And now I get to come and be here and see with my own eyes. And I just want to use this time to encourage you guys. Guys, it seems like the Lord is doing something at Redemption Church. It seems like he's been very kind and gracious to you. It seems that lives are being changed by the gospel. And so I just want to turn to Colossians chapter 1 and say, don't stop. Don't get complacent. Instead, let's, let's use a passage like this to encourage us on towards the fullness of maturity and growth and wholeness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I don't have anything really profound. I just want to lay out Colossians 1 and say, take this and you guys keep going in this. That's what Paul's doing to the Colossians. I just want to do that for you guys. Take what God is already doing. Recognize the movement of God in your midst and say, let's keep growing towards maturity and health. And so that's what, that's what we're going to do. I'm just going to make three, uh, group this, this passage in three headings of, uh, of marks of spiritual growth uh, for this Colossian church. And before I make those, those uh, kind of lay out those marks, I just want to give you a, a couple of observations that I think are, are helpful for us at the beginning. The first is this. Though Paul is speaking to a church of young believers, young believers that, that he probably has never met, he's just heard about the gospel in their, their, their lives, um, I think that this passage has a word both for believers and unbelievers. And so let me just say a word real quickly to uh, you. If you find yourself here on a Sunday morning in a church worship service or maybe watching online and you don't know about uh, uh, this Jesus guy, you don't know about this gospel, you don't know about this, this Christianity business, but for some reason you find yourself here, I just want to encourage you uh, with this text. What I think a passage like this from God's word is telling us is that yes, not only has God changed lives, in the Colossian believers. He is in the business of continuing to change, change lives. And we do not think that is a message just for 2,000 years ago in a, uh, a, a Turkish town. But it's a message for us. God is still in the business of changing lives. And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you've been at. I don't know why you're here. But it seems like it's at least worth considering that God is maybe doing and stirring something in your own life. And I want you to hear from this passage. God is still in the business of changing lives. And the message of Jesus Christ is good news for you wherever you are. And we have full confidence that it is able to change your life. There's a beautiful, we're going to land on a high note in this text because we're just going to be worshiping what God does through Christ to change lives. And so don't tune out. This is primarily talking to Christians, but all of these marks of spiritual growth are ones for, for you to consider. Okay, secondly, I just want us to observe as we look in this passage that this is a message to a church. We have a tendency, especially when we start talking about spiritual growth, to make everything hyper-personalized. Right? I want to grow as a Christian, and yes, that we, want, we ought to want to grow as individual Christians, but I think it's incredibly helpful that Paul is not just saying, I hope each one of you kind of individually grows in these areas, but he's speaking to a church and saying that even the reputation that he's heard, he's heard about the church. And I think it's instructive for us as we consider spiritual growth to recognize that the 
normal context and even one of the primary agents and powers that the Lord gives us for our spiritual growth is living out the Christian life in the context of God's people. I know you guys are in the process of signing up for groups and, and serving and everything like that. And if you're just wondering, if you're just at a place in your life where you're wanting to chase after spiritual growth, I just want to encourage you, one of the most powerful ways that you can chase after spiritual growth is to pursue the Lord in the context of his people. Don't just do this me and Jesus thing. Instead, do this we and Jesus thing. You live out the Christian life in the context of his people. Know and be known, serve and be served, love and be loved, extend the gospel to one another and receive the gospel from one another. That is gonna be one of those powerful ways that the Lord fuels this, this growth that he wants to see in all of our lives. Every one of the, the, the you words in this passage are plural words, okay? From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you know, do you guys say y'all here? I don't know where, where we're at. Okay, it's the y'all, okay, uh, for y'all. My wife is not from the South. I grew up kind of in a weird spot in the South. So I, we, neither one of us say y'all and our four-year-old little girl the other day said y'all and then she looked at us like, we, like she just got in trouble. And I was like, no, no, like it's okay. We're, we're in the South, it's, it's gonna happen. Um, we have not ceased to pray for y'all, asking that y'all may be filled with the knowledge. You, you get the idea here. It's, it's an us thing. You were meant, you were designed, you were called to live out your following Jesus with God's people. The idea of a Christian separated from the people of God is, is foreign to the scriptures. And so that's just a, a word of encouragement. As we pursue these marks of spiritual growth, let's do so with the people of God, among the people of God, though, and I, I, I'm, this is a separate sermon or whatever, though the people of God can be quite challenging sometimes, can't they? Uh, you know, I, not too many amens there or whatever, but you get the, it's, it's, maybe that strikes a little too close, close to home. Maybe you're looking across the room and you got eyes on the difficult people or you notice everybody looking at you, okay? Either way, I just want to encourage you, those are not foreign to the idea of spiritual growth. Just real quick, I'm just going to, quick detour. If you look over to uh, Colossians chapter three, um, I just love that in Colossians chapter three, when he's encouraging uh, people to put on Christ, to continue to grow in Christ's likeness, so much, starting in verse 12, and you can go all the way down through verse 17, so much of what it means to put on Christ is happening in the people of God. And so in verse 12, it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And I'm, I'm for all those things. We're talking about the character of Jesus and everything, but a lot of that I can do, I can do just following Jesus. But you know what you can't do uh, just in isolation? You can't do absent from the people of God? Bearing with one another. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever born with someone? Husbands, if you were to look at your wife and just tenderly, kindly say, I'm going to bear with you today. How would that go? You don't bear with easy people, do you? You bear with difficult people. You bear with challenging people. You bear with trying people. Not only that, bearing with one another and as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Who do you forgive? You forgive people who've sinned against you. Everything that Jesus is, or that Paul is talking about, encouraging the Colossians to grow into spiritual maturity, he is not imagining this perfect church scenario. He's imagining real people who are difficult and challenging and sinful, not just towards God, but towards one another and saying that is the context for you to grow up into maturity in Christ. I hope that sounds familiar. I hope that's encouraging to you. 
That means that if you have challenges and difficulties and, and offenses here, the gospel that is meant to bring about transformation in the context of Colossians is still applicable to you and I because that's the world that we live in. That's the world that we live in. That's the world that he was writing into. Okay, so that's a quick detour of, of how we want to pursue spiritual growth in the context of the church. Let me give you from this passage three marks of spiritual birth that Paul wants to see, or sorry, spiritual uh, um, uh, growth that he wants to see in the Colossian believers that I think can be instructive for us. The first thing he wants to see is that they are growing in their understanding of God's will. You can see in verse nine, this is kind of where he comes right out of the gate. Uh, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The Christian life is, is fundamentally a Godward life. It is a life lived before God and unto God. That's one of the things that will kind of run through this whole passage. Paul wants to see them grow into maturity kind of with a view to the fact that, that it is God who is saving them through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so their whole lives are lived now under God and for God and to God. And so he says, if you are going to grow in maturity, you need to understand the will of God. You are not going to be able to pursue this fullness and this wholeness and this maturity if you do not understand what his will is for you. I just wonder if anybody here has ever had uh, perhaps a boss that they have received instructions for, but those instructions, for whatever reason, between the time they leave your boss's mouth and they reach your ears, it just sounds like nonsense, right? And so your boss is giving you instructions, I need you to do X, Y, and Z, and you're like, okay. I don't know what you're talking about, right? You know, like that's a very weird spot to be in if you are an employee trying to, trying to get and understand and try to work with and, and, and under your boss. How is it that I can, I can go about this life of, of being on this team if I cannot understand the one who's in charge? And so Paul says, here's, my, here's my, my first thing I want you to have as you pursue growth and fullness and wholeness is I want you to understand what the will of God is. When, I was, uh, uh, when we first became parents, I, uh, I had one moment. There's, there's this moment before you become parents, okay, uh, become a parent, where you hear about people shaking babies. And you're like, how on earth could that happen? And then you have a baby. And you realize, oh, oh, like this is how this could happen. You, you guys, a few parents are nodding along. Now, I never shook my baby or anything like that. Don't shake your babies. It's a tragedy. It's terrible or whatever. But I, I understood in that moment. And I remember the lowest point is uh, I got to bring my son uh, Ezra here on this trip with me. Uh, Ezra was a, a newborn and we were not, uh, we weren't really uh, confident in our parenting. And I remember one night at like one or two o'clock, uh, Ezra is in, in the bed, he's changed, he's fed, he's burped, all that kind of stuff. He's just laying there and he's losing his mind. And I remember in my exhaustion, just leaning over the crib and literally 2 a.m. talking to a newborn, saying, like, like, like raising my voice, what do you want from me? Uh, you, you guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and I, right after that, I just felt so ridiculous, right? It's like, oh man, this is bad. Uh, so I'm confessing it here today. But so many times I feel like we can, we can feel that way with the Lord, can't we? What do you want from me? And Paul is, is saying, that's actually kind of a good question. That's a really good question. 
I am praying for you, Colossian believers, and, and brothers and sisters in Edmond, Oklahoma, we should, I'm praying for you, and you should pray for yourselves that we would be able to understand what the will of the Lord is for you and your church. That you guys would have a sensitivity and an understanding of, of what his will is. But thankfully, unlike my infant son who cannot talk, cannot communicate, doesn't necessarily have to have a reason be, for behind his crying, the Lord is not some petulant child and he is not hiding far off as if to say, hope you can figure it out. But in his kindness, the Lord God who saved us and rescued us and wants to walk with us has made himself known to us. He has not hidden his will, but instead he's revealed it for us, primarily, most magnificently, in the person of his son. If we want to know what the will of, of God is, the first stop that we've got to make is at the person of Jesus and say, let's, let's look to the one who has saved us. Let's look to the God-man who has walked before us and is raised from the dead and is guaranteeing our eternal life. Let's, let's look to the person of Jesus and say, what can, we, what can we discern about the will of God from the person and work of Jesus? But secondly, we have, we have seen his will. He's made it known to us in, in his word. This is one of the reasons we're not just trying to be Bible thumpers and say, here's a rule book and all that kind of stuff. Thankfully, God, the one true God of all existence has not stayed far off and said, hope you guys figure it out. Instead, he's saying, I want to make myself known to you. And it's a tragedy that for so many Christians, we're longing to know what is the will of God for us. And yet our attachment to his self-revelation, his making known of his will, is just a casual part of our lives and our days and our churches even. And praise God, that doesn't seem to be the case of you guys. He's given us his son. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit as well. He's given to the people of God, both individually and to the church, the spirit of God to guide and direct. Just read through the book of Acts and watch how the spirit of God guides the people of, or guides the, the, the people. Uh, Paul, on his missionary journey, he's wanting to go into, into Asia Minor and the spirit is like, eh, no, you're not going to go there. You're going to go this way. How does that happen? I have no idea. I don't know what the mechanism is uh, for that. I don't know what the mechanism for that happening is. I'm just very thankful that the God who created and sent Jesus is not done being active among his people, but he's given us his spirit. He's not only given us his son, his word, and his spirit, he's given us his people. He's given us one another. How many times throughout the scripture is God's directing and guiding hand, is it brought about through, through the, the one anothering that happens among his people? For brothers, sisters, do not dismiss when one another comes to you and encourages you and exhorts you and disciples you and cares for you and even says, hey, I think you should think about this or here's a passage of scripture you, shall, you should consider. You dismiss them at your own peril. What if it is God himself who is, who is trying to help you understand, grow into a knowledge and understanding of his will in all in all spiritual wisdom. He's given us his son, his word, his spirit, and his people. The Lord's will is not, is not something that has to be far off from us. He, Paul, Paul wants the Colossians to, to grow in their understanding of God's will, and may that be true of us as well. I think those who are, who are growing into spiritual maturity, mark number one of, of spiritual growth and maturity, is going to be a deepening understanding of the will of God. 
The second mark I want to give to you really forms the meat of this passage, and that is a, a people who are living for God's pleasure. They don't just understand God's will, but they're living for God's pleasure. Beginning in verse 10, he connects, I want you to understand the will of God, but I don't want it to stop there, which I think is helpful for us. Some people like to just do a lot of study, a lot of research, a lot of discernment, all that kind of stuff, and then they're like, okay, got it. Now, for Paul, that's not the case. I don't just want you to understand the will of God. I want you to understand the will of God so that it drives to a living in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And so he says that take that knowledge and wisdom and spiritual understanding and drive it towards a way of living that says, now I'm going to take the understanding of the will of God and manifest it in a life that is worthy of God. And I love the way that he just kind of encapsulates. How would you describe a life that is worthy of God? And I think a good, a good explanation there is a life that is pleasing to God. This has been something that I've just been struck by uh, over the last uh, couple years, honestly, is how helpful a summary of the Christian life the idea of seeking to please the Lord is. How many of you guys have wrestled with uh, any kind of decision making? Do I take this job? Do I not? Do I move? Do I not? Do we uh, pursue adoption or orphan care or, or not? Do we take, uh, uh, do we take on a, a particular ministry or not? You've, you've, you've pursued wisdom. Do I, do I seek reconciliation with this person? How much, how clarifying it can be to overlay each of those situations to say, what would please God in this situation? Like, what would please our God in this situation. And I think it's helpful here, and I want to interject here, not what would please God so that he's not angry with me, so that he doesn't judge me. This is not seeking to please God so that we can turn away his wrath and his judgment. No, this is in the context of a loving relationship, in the context of a fatherly relationship as one who has rescued us through the person of Jesus, who has saved us and adopted us into his family. He is now our father and we are his son, and we are not trying to appease him we are trying to please him he is not angry with us he is not looking to smite us or you know throw a, a, a lightning bolt at us or anything like that instead he is a loving father and we are his children and we can ask father how can I please you sheds light on the the stories that Jesus tell in the gospel where the conclusion of the faithful servant is, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Your master is there joyfully ready for you. He's pleased with you. His disposition to you is a delight. We can live our lives seeking to, to please him. And we all know what this is like, right? There, um, we have an, uh, an impressive ability to turn a lot of relationships back on ourselves. It's a really special relationship when we actually work and find our pleasure in the delight of another. Think about who that might be for, for you. When has there been a time when you have gotten genuine joy because someone else is happy? It's gonna brag on moms for the most part here. Moms, you guys kill this. So many times you're, you're, you lay your lives down for the sake of your kids, joy. 
their delight. You guys really set a great example for us in this. So it might be for your kids. It might be for a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a guy who's wooing a girl. And it's like, hey, do you want to go, uh, you know, if I'm planning a date or something like that, uh, do you want to go, you know, skydiving or something like that? Do you want to, I proposed to my wife the, the day, I didn't do it at the zoo, but I, I, took her to the zoo the day that we proposed, thinking, who doesn't like the zoo? Well, the answer is, my wife doesn't like the zoo. I did not, I did not know that. Do you think, I love the zoo. I think the zoo is awesome. Do you think that I would have gone to the zoo on the day we proposed if I knew that she doesn't get joy out of this? No. I would have done anything think, you know, if I knew that she would enjoy this. It doesn't matter what it is. You're, you're married to somebody, you're dating somebody, you're hanging out with somebody who just loves to go to the opera. You go to the opera. Because, why? Because you want them to be pleased, even if you're just like clawing your eyes out or something like that. Okay? You get what I'm talking about. There's some kind of special relationships where your pleasure is found in them getting pleasure. Well, we as God's people, we live for the pleasure of our Father. What is it that's going to please him? There are multiple places in the New Testament. You could go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that, uh, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. What is the Christian life? It's a life that is lived seeking to please the Lord. But thankfully, uh, the Apostle Paul builds this out. And I'm going to fly through these because I, I think the main idea there, everything is, is under the heading of seeking to please the Lord. But you'll notice if you've got your Bible, and, and especially if you're not opposed to kind of writing in your Bible, I would just show you that, that there is a, basically a heading here that we have in, in verse 10. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, seeking to please him. That's the heading. And then there's four kind of subpoints here. And I just want to point them out to you. The first one is that we would bear fruit in every good work. How is it that we can please the Lord. Bear fruit in every good work. Uh, earlier, Chris mentioned John chapter 15, but John chapter 15, at one of the sections in there that says that, that by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. How is it that we can seek to live, uh, uh, seek to, to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord? We can bear fruit in our, our walking with the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Titus chapter 2 says that Christ died to redeem us from lawlessness, to purify us, and then not just to redeem us from sin and to purify us, but to make us zealous for good works. Why is it that the Lord has rescued you so that you would bear fruit? Bear fruit in your walking with the Lord. Second way that he gives us is the second half of, of uh, chapter or verse ten. There that we would be also increasing in the knowledge of God. The Lord is pleased as we seek to know Him. How, how do you think that someone would feel if you're uh, actually we've all met this person, right? If you're having a conversation and you can just tell you are not interested in me at all right now, like your mind is somewhere else. It's a little offensive, isn't it? Like, am I an interesting person? Obviously not. It's hurtful. Well, the Lord, who loves us, created us, sent his son to die for us, has made himself known to us, invites us to know him. One of the things that he gets pleasure out of is us seeking to know him, growing in the knowledge of God. Let me ask you this, Christian, has your knowledge of God grown as you've walked with Jesus? Do you know more of him? 
his character, his works, his ways, his story in your life, his story in others' lives, do, are you increasing in the knowledge of God? It pleases God for us to, to grow in this way. Third, uh, being strengthened by God's power. In verse 11, it says that he wants us to, to give pleasure to the Lord, to, to be fully pleasing to him by being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. We, we please the Lord as we are strengthened with his might. I love this, according to his glorious might. That is not just an abstract thing for the Apostle Paul. The might that he's talking about being strengthened by is God's might. What might? It's the might that raised Jesus from the dead and gave him new life. Christian, think about that. Paul wants us to be strengthened with the power that raises people from the dead. That's living life pleasing to the Lord. Why? Why do we need that strength? Well, to endure and to have patience with joy. The Christian life is hard. It's challenging. It's difficult. It's trying. We're going to have trials and tribulations. And part of growing into maturity and, and letting the gospel build up into to the fullness that we've been called to is that we would receive strength from the Lord and we would press forward, we would persevere and have patience with joy because we've been strengthened with all his power. The last thing he gives us there is, is that we would be giving thanks to the Father. Giving thanks to the Father in verse 12, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. A life that is pleasing to the Lord, living for God's pleasure, is going to be characterized by a, by a heart of thanksgiving. Why? Because this God has, has, has qualified us to share in an inheritance of the saints of light. Your destiny, your destination, your inheritance has changed because of God's kindness to you in Jesus Christ. What is the response? response to that, it is a heart of, of thanksgiving. A couple weeks ago, I took my son to Frankie's Fun Park, which in Raleigh is just kind of one of those, like, I don't know, celebration station type things. I don't know if you guys have these things, but you know, it's got putt-putt, it's got video games, you can get little tickets, and you can go to the redemption counter, and we were in the redemption area, and let me tell you, we did not have a lot of tickets, okay? We were not very good at a lot of things. We, we had fun, but we didn't get a, get a ton of tickets, and we were looking, we were going, and Ezra was like, can we get that? I was like, uh, no, can we get that? Uh, no, can we get that? It's like, here's a Jolly Rancher, uh, and so I kind of moving in that direction and uh, we, we kind of gotten our little trinkets that we were going to get and as we were walking up to the counter the lady that was checking out at the counter not the worker but the, the lady and her kids that were checking out turned around and said uh, I don't know give them to him and these lady have like buck you know she's got like a stuffed animal and all these kind of things and what she said was we don't need to use the rest of these tickets we just give them away to somebody and so she turned around and she pointed to my son and said give them to him and now it's like, and I said, excuse me? And she said, this lady has like 1,500 tickets. We went in with like 300. Uh, this lady has 1,500 tickets and she just wants to give them to you. And all I could say was, thank you. I don't know you. She was on his way out. She, she had to go. Like she was ready to get out of that area. Here you go. And all we could say is thank you. And, and Paul's just saying here, the life that is pleasing to God is one looks at the father who has qualified you for something you are not qualified for and say that life is going to be marked by thanksgiving because he has made us qualified for something that we are not. I'm going to move on to my, my third, third point here. 
that uh, this, this mark of spiritual growth that we see here is not only thanks to the Father because of his grace, it is a marveling at his grace. He moves in verse 13 to, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the gospel right here. This is the message of the gospel that has saved the Colossians. And he is saying that your life of spiritual growth, yes, it is going to be marked by understanding the will of God and seeking to please the, uh, the Lord. But one of the things it has to be marked by is a marveling at the grace of God for you. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You, because of your own wickedness and rebellion, were destined to an eternal hell. And he has rescued you, taken you from that land and put it into another kingdom. And he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. He has not just taken you from this place of, of, of judgment and torment. He has brought you into his family. Christian growing in the gospel is going to be marked by a life that is never over marveling at his grace. He has done something for us that we could not do. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Everything you have ever done, everything you will ever do against a holy God, he has taken care of it because he sent his son, his perfect son, to live a life that you could not live, to die a death that you deserved. So that all you have to do is say, he is my hope and salvation. And we receive from him redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As we grow, as we pursue growth, <clears throat> redemption church, as you grow in Christ, never stop marveling at God's grace for you. I wanna close just with this passage. I wanna pray for us and I wanna pray this passage over, over us and over you guys just like the Apostle Paul does. And so if you, if you will, please just bow your head with me. And I, I just want to walk through this and pray for us that these, this picture of growth in Christ would be true of us, of each one of us individually, and, and you guys as a church collectively. Father God, from the day that I have heard of this church through Chase and Maddie, it has been a joy to be able to see you work. And I pray that you would fill the brothers and sisters of Redemption Church with the knowledge of your will and you would give them all spiritual wisdom and understanding that they would have no, no hesitation about where you are leading them, but instead they would have an awareness of your kindness and your fatherly care for them. And you would make what you have made known in your word very plain to them as they seek to follow you. And as they, as they understand your will, I pray that you would help them to walk in a manner that is worthy of you, that honors you, that is pleasing to you, so that you would, would look out at this body of your people and you would be just delighted at your grace growing into maturity. God, I pray that that would look like them bearing fruit in every good work, that they would be marked in this city by lives and a reputation of good works because they, they know it pleases you, that they would likewise be growing in their knowledge of you and that, that, that study of your word and of your truth and of the, your doctrine that you've given to your people would not be something just for the elite few, but it would be for something all the saints that, that, that they all pursue because they know that, that you delight in being known and, and they want to know you. God, I pray that you would strengthen them with all power according to your glorious might, the might that you use to create the world, to speak it into existence, and to speak salvation into each of our, our lives. God, God, that because of your might, they would endure every trial and tribulation and difficulty with joy. God, and I pray that they would be marked 
by thankfulness because of what you've done for them in Jesus, that it would never cease coming off their, their lips of how thankful they are to you. God, and I pray lastly that this group of believers would marvel endlessly at your, your grace and your kindness and your mercy to them. God, your grace is new to us and fresh to us every day, and I pray that their hearts would just be stirred up with a grave sense of adoration for you because of what you've done. And we pray all this confidently because we know that you are interested in bringing maturity about in your people. We know that you want to grow your people into, into to spiritual health and maturity, and so I pray that you would, you would see it, it happen in this group. In Jesus' name, amen. 